Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here on a text-driven Tuesday with George Mays. Morning, George. Hey. How's it going? It's going all right. Good. Mowed my yard this morning, so I'm a little... Oh, you got up early and mowed the yard. Yep. All right. That's a good option when it's about 100. going to be 100 that day. I know it. Yep. All right. Well, it's Monday for us. Not Tuesday. Tuesday for the listener. George got a fresh night's sleep and freshly mowed grass, so he's ready to go. <laughs> I don't know about that. Starting the week off right. I'm back after a short hiatus. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. <laughs> I, could, I could tell. <laughs> I had to miss church. Yeah, I, I can I, tell. I don't like missing church. Uh, yeah. Sitting at home all by myself. Didn't even have no, no family around. Nobody was even homesick with me. Yeah. All by myself, just watching the church on my tablet. These notes here were taken on my tablet while you were up on the screen. Got stung by a scorpion, George. That does not sound pleasant. It wasn't that bad. The sting wasn't that bad, but apparently it got infected, or I'm allergic. Maybe I'm really allergic, and uh, it spread like route rapidly on my thigh, like all the way down from my upper thigh down to my knee. Yeah, quick. Mm. So had to go get some high powered stuff from the doctors and lay down for lay around for like 24 hours. Got it under control. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think about. I was talking to Larry about this and, and you a little bit. That, like, a long time ago, mm-hmm. that that had been it for Jay Jones. Right. Either that or that had been... Uh, Which is wild. I mean, whacking my uh, leg off with a rusty <laughs> saw. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Which is, it's so bizarre. It was, what, just a little, just a little scorpion? Yeah, we have a... Well, I get, what is it, uh, Larry? A uh, bark bark scorpion? Bark <laughs> bark scorpion's like the only scorpion in Oklahoma. Yeah. Right. So I guess it's got. If you're a young person or an old person, they can be dangerous. Okay. But hey, you're getting in that yeah. that other category. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I got hit by that tarantula hawk wasp. Yeah. Remember that? Uh huh. Yeah. Was that like maybe four years ago? That's like, like l- that. literally riding lightning. Right. <laughs> like not joking. I think it's the second worst insect sting yeah. on the planet, tarantula hawk wasp. But the initial shock of it, like yeah. after it goes away, it's uncomfortable for several hours. But then, then nothing. It had did nothing to me. Yeah, get stung by this little scorpion. Little scorpion. See, I like I, what I, that doesn't make I, any sense. See, I thought that when you got stung by a scorpion, it was an immediate. It was an immediate pain. Well, it was, yeah. It felt like I got stung by a bee or something. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's that's not what that's not what I was expecting. I was expecting. I think there's like degrees. Yeah, I think there's pain. degrees of. Hmm. I mean, it, yeah, it was like a bee or a wasp or something. Huh. But after the hawk wasp, it was nothing. But then forty eight hours later, like, what in the world's going on here? I mean, that's the only thing worse than a spider, Jay, is a spider with. Claws, two claws and a stinger, pinchers, yeah. exoskeleton. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't kill them. You like step on them. It does nothing. Yeah, you got to take out the the uh, plumber's torch and torch them. <laughs> That's how we get them at my house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you see them very often? I mean, you're out in the yeah, you're we, out in the in the in the country. We see a couple. So. We see a couple couple a year. Do you? Usually, yeah. You know, Walking across concrete, or I don't know, will they eat like ants or something? We got plenty of ants out of yeah. our house. Mm. Uh, we haven't, I haven't seen any at our house in several years. Now, watch, I'll start seeing them. Now that I say that, you'll probably find, you'll probably see one. Yeah, um, they're pretty shy though. Yeah, but uh, when we lived in Meeker, Oklahoma, which is a little bit north of Shawnee. Um, we saw them all the time in the in the parsonage, mm. all the time. And there's nothing worse than you're watching TV and you see something crawling, 
crawling out of the corner of your eye. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to be back, so let's jump in, and uh, we'll look at your sermon. I don't know what the sermon title was, because I didn't have a bulletin, but the sermon was all about hope, and in, it comes off the, the tail end of this big warning that we have been looking at for the past several weeks, and this is all about about all about hope, and you, your two main points were, well, I would say that was your purpose, to instill hope. Mm-hmm. You said this. The purpose was that we would have hope and hope in God. So, uh, your first your first point was Abraham's uh, double sure hope, and then the second was second point was our double sure hope. Mm-hmm. So easy to remember. Right. Abraham's double sure hope, then our double sure hope. So let's jump in here. I want to have you sh- have you read it. Are you and, are you uh, remembering the sermon a little bit better than you did last week? Yeah, I am. yeah, I am. Since it's not. You don't have a day in between. I don't have a day. There's no, there's no gap. Okay. No time. So what you're saying is that you remember the sermon better having stayed at home with a bad scorpion sting <laughs> right. than well, sleeping but, for 24 hours. But there is not the extra gap. I gotcha. I haven't put in all the information. Okay. When we leave here, I will go read. And as I uh-huh. read and prepare stuff for... My next sermon series on Ecclesiastes, all of your sermon stuff will go out. I got gotcha. you. But it'll stay in the soul. <laughs> 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 there's only there's only so much room in here, George. <laughs> I, I only have so much capacity I left gotcha. in, in the brain. <laughs> all right. You got me there, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Engage, mind engaged, uh-huh. it moves to heart affected, okay. and then the mind gets new information. Okay, that's that's all I got left at forty one years old. I got you. Okay, and it's getting it's going down even worse. Like as the years go by. Oh yeah, the amount that stays in there. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, so I have I have a uh, super respect for old dudes like R.C. Sproul, who apparently still didn't use sermon notes when they. Uh, were right before they died, and they could yeah. just tell you anything. Wow. And all the historical figures, and yeah, that's not me. Nope. Not me. So we work with what we got. You got to work with what mm-hmm. what what God gave you. Yep. But I got the sermon in there right now, so. Okay. Let's go ahead, let's jump in here. Tell us about it coming off of the warning. What what's what's uh, What is the author of Hebrews doing now? Uh, well, you, you've got that... Uh, that... <sighs> So beginning in, in chapter 5, verse 11, he's he's starting to um, explain how he wants to tell him about Melchizedek, about Christ's Melchizedekian priesthood. Like I, you word. know, I was... Did you make a word up? I, I'm going to have to go back and look in commentaries. I know I didn't make that word up, <laughs> but my wife and Philip both were uh, were making fun of me yesterday. For making uh, a for, word? For saying that. They... Philip, I guess, was impressed by the word, but he didn't think it was a real word. You better, you better TM that and put it on a T-shirt. Look, you got you got Levitical priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. So the Levites, Levitical. Yeah. And now you got Melchizedek, Melchizedekian. Makes sense. I, I don't know. I, I I know I didn't make that up, but so, I'll have to I'll have to find some so, commentary hey, and hey, drop hey, a hey. name. I'm hoping that I found it in like Calvin. I, well, I'm hoping I can break out Calvin and be like, "Look, uh, Calvin said Melchizedekian." We'll go one more. Okay, he's made us a kingdom of priests. Mm-hmm. What order are we? <laughs> hmm? Christian? I don't know. What are you getting at? Christian priesthood. Christian priesthood. Jesusian. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right <laughs> i guess huh? i'm going with melchizedekian could, could I, be. I don't know once removed yeah okay anyway all right let's jump in. i mean i'm gonna be using that word so if it's made up if i, I don't it, know I, I don't i don't think i coined it you use it that, it se- that seems that seems way beyond the the scope of my my brain. It's good. It's a good word. Like, I like it. Like that up. So, so he wants to explain to them how Christ is is this fulfillment of Melchizedek's priesthood, and so he, but he can't because they become dull of hearing. Right. Uh, they they're they are content with shallow um, elementary Christianity, and so they don't want to dive into these these theological ideas. 
When are you going to explain Melchizedek? Next time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to ask you about it then. Okay. Yeah, we'll, chapter seven, he will we'll look at the story of, mm-hmm. of Melchizedek. Um, so he gives the warning, the strong warning, because the shallow, immature Christianity is fraught with, with peril, because when, when trials come, when temptation comes, you are in danger of falling away. So he's, he's warning them not to fall away. Um, and then last time, verses 9 through 12, we looked at this encouragement for them. Um, he, he is sure of, of better things for them. He's sure that they will listen, they won't fall away, um, and that they will be imitators. So they will, they will have this earnestness to pursue um, a full assurance of hope, of this mm-hmm. hope, so that they won't be sluggish, but they'll be imitators of those who, through patience, inherit the promises. Okay. But um, maybe you're still doubting. Maybe you're still wavering. Um, maybe that's not that that assurance is good, but you need more. So he's going to give them more. Um, so how can you have this hope? How can you be so sure of Jesus? Mm-hmm. How can you be so sure that um, Jesus will save you? Yeah, that, that he he truly is the better priest. Better priest, yeah. And so we have verses thirteen through twenty, which again is giving us um, this hope. It's giving us reason for this hope, so that we'll hold on to the hope. All right. So then we're gonna jump into that, um, but let's have you read it first. Okay. Okay. Uh, where are you gonna start? Uh, let's start at verse eleven. Six. Um, Chapter 6, verse 11. Yeah, because even though there's that break there, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a, a good break right there. Um, but it's still connected, and you'll see the connection with the words that are used um, at the end of verse 12. So um, we'll start at verse 11. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right. Good stuff. All right, let's look at this first point then in verses 13 through 16, if you're following along at home or riding. um, Just go ahead and keep driving. Don't pull the Bible out. We're looking at Abraham's double sure hope. Abraham's double sure hope. So the question is that that you raised, which I think is good. It's always a good idea when you're preaching, I think, to raise some questions. Why the example of Abraham? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think there's probably many different reasons we could give, but I think the main ones are he's the he's kind of the penultimate example of the man of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul uses him. James uses him. Um, this isn't even the last time that the writer of Hebrews will use him. He is the father of faith. Mm. Um, you, you go back to Genesis 15. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's the example of of um, justification by faith alone, right? Yeah. Um, I think also because um, he's connected to Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking about Melchizedek. Abraham is he's that connection mm-hmm. um, because he's the one who um, interacts with Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also we could we could look at the fact that um, I mean the, the the place that he's quoting from um, here in uh, in verse fourteen is from Genesis twenty two, the sacrifice of Isaac. Um, he is taking him to Mount Moriah, and he's going to sacrifice his. Uh, 
his only son, the son that he loves. Um, the Greek translation is his only begotten son. Um, and he receives him back from the dead. And I think there's you know connection there because Isaac is a type of Christ. Christ fulfills um, this, this story. Um, and that's what makes him the Melchizedekian priest. Mm -hmm. He's the one who lives forever. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of, of different connections, but I think the main ones are he is he is the one that the biblical authors go to when talking about faith, right? Um, and also his connection with Melchizedek. Yeah. All right. So we go back to the Bible. Um, God calls Abraham. So we'll just break it down to make it as easy as possible to to get. God calls Abraham from a foreign land, a mm -hmm. pagan nation. Let's we forget that sometimes that Abraham was a pagan. Yeah, he's an idol worshiper, according to Joshua. Mm -hmm. Joshua explicitly says they worshipped idols. Yeah, living in I guess it would be modern day Iraq, somewhere in that region, close to Iran, maybe. Yeah, it's uh, it'd be I mean it's Ur of the Chaldeans, so it's mm -hmm. it's it's Babylon. Yeah, like it's it's ancient Babylonia. Yeah. All right, and there God comes to him, and he gives him nothing except a promise. Right. And that's it. Yeah, go to the place I'll show you, Yeah, and I'll make you a nation, uh -huh. and I'll give you land, and all the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And it's amazing. Abraham goes. Yeah. I mean, talk about the effectual call, right? Right. Like irresistible grace. Uh -huh. God God tells you to go and and you go. Yeah, the faith is uh the way it operates is it's interesting, right? Cuz there's not this is not like an unoccupied place. Right. He's going to a place that already has people. Right. right. And God is just continually to grow Abraham's um uh, influence and wealth yeah. and power. I mean, by the time he interacts with Melchizedek, Melchizedek he's got a, apparently an army enough to have an oh, army. Oh yeah, yeah. He's able to he's able to fight a war. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he's he's banking all of it on nothing but what God has said. Right. And so he is the prototypical man who simply believes God, takes him at his word, and God counts him as righteous. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point of Romans. I think it's yeah. start in chapter five or or four. Where does that line can't remember exactly uh, where it is. Which, which book? Uh, Romans. Romans chapter four. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that whole section he's elaborates on, and mm -hmm. he uses Abraham. Right. And then here, the author of Hebrews tries to show you what he is banking that promise in, yeah. and it comes down to this idea of swearing uh -huh. or making an oath. Right. So let's talk about making oaths. Okay. Because I liked your introduction. Oh, did you? <laughs> Yeah, I like that. <laughs> a little historical, a little historical information. Uh huh. Right. You brought up the idea of of swearing. Like, right. Who hasn't like made a promise to somebody? Like, I swear I'll do it, you know, or whatever. And and then you brought up the pinky. The swear. pinky swear. Right. It's like a little kid thing nowadays. Right. But apparently not always. A yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently not. <laughs> Was this like part of the samurai code or what? Uh, well, the there the I. <laughs> I mean, I looked at a bunch of different sites to make sure this wasn't like one person's opinion, um, and it. Several of them brought up this might have been created by the yakuza, the mm. Japanese mob. Ah, um, which it sounds like something that the yakuza would do. <laughs> yeah. But but I don't I don't know like when did the yakuza, like when did they start? I probably I at the know. fall of the empire. I don't know because um, this the pinky swear. It dates back to at least um, 1860 in America. So before and that. They, and they're pretty sure that it, it didn't originate in America. It originated most, most um, of the places I looked said Japan. So it had to have been somewhere before 1860. Mm. Um, so somewhere in the 17th or 18th uh, centuries, the pinky swear originated mm. um but uh it's called uh yubikiri i'm assuming that i'm pronouncing that right if i'm mispronouncing it i apologize uh which means finger cut off 
<laughs> which the li- I love I th- the literal I think, translation. I think that uh, I think that the listeners can kind of see where this is going. <laughs> Apparently, it was uh, so you would you do the you you'd hook the pinky, and it was accompanied by um, a vow, which translated um, means it, it says pinky swear ten thousand punches. Whoever lies will be made to swallow a thousand needles. So. Um, and the uh, the whole point is, if you break your oath, you have to cut off your your pinky. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the American the American version it it shows up in um, Bartlett's um, Dictionary of Americanisms, which Bartlett's is just a uh, it's a big book of different sayings and lines from books and and things like that. So in 1860, it shows up in Bartlett's and it says, Pinky, Pinky, Bobel, whoever tells a lie will sink down to a bad place and never rise up again. A bad, it doesn't actually say the place? No, no, it says uh, to a bad place and never rise again. I think that's part of the, I think it's part of, uh, like it sounds like a little kid's, kid's thing, you know, Pinky, Pinky, Bobel, uh, whoever tells a lie will sink down to a bad place uh-huh. and never rise again instead of saying the bad place. Interesting. So anyway, that's, uh, there's a little bit of history for you, Jay, the, the pinky swear. But uh, the point is you see that um, it is a serious thing <laughs> to make a promise. Like you said, it's, it's a, it's kind of a kid's thing now, nowadays, the pinky swear. Mm-hmm. But, um, I guess it, it wasn't always yeah. that way. There's some other cultures that have have something similar to that, and it's it's got kind of the same meaning of cutting off a finger or breaking a finger if if you break your mm. break your promise. I I think I, I don't want to like chase a rabbit too far, but I think a lot of Christians they hear this idea of taking an oath or swearing something, and they say, "Well, we're not supposed to swear by anything." Right. Um. Uh, based on uh, Matthew chapter five, mm-hmm. let your yes be yes, right. let your no be no, um, and so the the Anabaptists back in the you know these were the radical reformers back in the um, the seventeenth century, they uh, they would not take oaths, they would not swear mm. based on that, and so that was something that so if you look at like the Westminster or the sixteen eighty nine, there's actually uh, there's actually a chapter on oaths, lawful vows. Um, because the the reformers are arguing, now you're misunderstanding what Jesus is is getting at. The Bible does allow for oath taking, mm-hmm. um, for swearing. You see it all throughout the scriptures, not just in the Old Testament. You see it a little bit in the New Testament, uh-huh. um, also. Um, Paul Paul takes a, he vow. takes a vow. Um, so you you see vows. Um, so we we want to. I, I think what Jesus more is getting at is kind of what you'd see him uh, talking with the hypocrites about in Matthew twenty three. Mm-hmm. Like they play these stupid games. Yeah. Well, I swear by the gold on the altar. <laughs> right. Well, I swear by the uh, gift on the altar. Yeah. And he's like, it's like, well, uh, it it's. I think he's pushing against this idea that um, it's kind of like crossing your fingers behind your back. Right. Um, hey, hey! You can't break your promise. You swore by the you swore by the uh, the altar. Well, I didn't swear by the gold on the altar. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. That that's that's what Jesus is yeah. is getting at. Yeah, uh, but if if you make an oath to someone and it is it, you you're you're taking it under God, right? Like you're swearing to God, right? Uh, the most common um, oath in um, the Old Testament is as the Lord lives. As the as, Lord as lives. That's lives. taking an oath. You listen to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter five. I don't want to jump into Ecclesiastes yeah. too soon for you, Jay, but it, it is, um, it's relevant. It says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. An oath. That's an oath. An oath. Yeah. Um, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Um, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So it doesn't say don't take a vow. It says, 
think real long and hard <laughs> before you take a vow because it's a serious thing. Two that I, you brought one up that I was thinking of in the sermon, and then there's another you didn't. We take this oath, we take an oath, military oath. Mm-hmm. At yeah. the end of the military oath, it's so help me God. Right. Same with the same with you know elected officials, president. Mm-hmm. He does the same thing. Yeah. So you take an oath before God, mm-hmm. but marriage is another oath. Mm-hmm. It's a marriage is an oath before God as well. Right. You're entering right. into a covenant with each other. God's part of this covenant. Right. And you're swearing. At least, at least Christian marriage is. Yeah. I mean, you can go to the justice of the peace, and you're not. You still, That's what I you think. still are, you still are, but uh, it's not explicitly. Yeah, I mean, it's sec- it's secular, right? It's it's legally binding for like whatever tax right. paying and, mm-hmm. but a Christian marriage, an oath before God, right? Um, serious, mm. I would say unbreakable, only by a few exceptions in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, when you say "till death do us part," you are saying. May I die before this this oath is broken? Yeah, you know one one good example I kind of think of when I think about my grandma. Um, you know, my grandpa I guess was not a good husband when he came back from World War II. Uh, you know, his generation they all went over there very young, and he wasn't a great he wasn't a great husband. He wasn't yeah. affectionate. He went to he drank a lot, went to bars a lot, um, left her alone a lot uh, often. I don't think he was affectionate to any of my, um, very affectionate to my mom or her sisters. Um, I, and I'm pretty sure my grandma wanted to leave him like and divorce him. She didn't do it. She stayed with him. And I think by the end of my grandpa's life, I, I don't, I don't have any doubts that he was a Christian. So, I mean, but, but these are the things that, that, you, that I've talked to you about it before. Like women today, like maybe their husband comes back from war. He's different. Um, he's not a good husband, and they just leave him. Yeah, they just they just abandon him. Mm. You know what I mean? Like um, when you make it, or, or men like they. Do I think this. men do it too. Um, you know, well, well, they, your, your wife has you know a bunch of kids. Gets um, older. She's getting older. She's you know, and um, then they. It's not. It's not like you're in high school or, or college anymore. And they and they leave them, and then yeah. they get they get the younger. They go for a younger girl. They right. get the upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we don't do that in the Christian in the right. Christian world. Like your oath before God means something. It displays mm-hmm. the gospel. Um, but we can't. We have nothing greater to swear by. We swear by God. Right. Here he is. You know, we're, he's bringing up author of Hebrew brings up. Abraham, and he says, God wants to make this hope sure, mm-hmm. and he gives him a promise. Right. Well, what can he give him beyond a promise, an oath? And what could he swear by? Right. What can God swear by? He can't swear by anything greater. Yeah. There's nothing greater than himself. Yeah. So he swears by himself. Yeah. And this is Genesis 22. Abraham has just... Um, been obedient to to sacrifice Isaac. The angel of the Lord stops him, um, and uh, he tells him that uh, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. That's that's what is um, in the mind of the writer here in Hebrews six. Mm-hmm. By myself, I have sworn. Mm-hmm. So he's he's swearing by himself because the author of Hebrews mentions he doesn't have anyone else to swear by. Mm-hmm. So when we're when we're swearing by God, we're saying God is bearing witness to this oath, and God will also carry out justice against the oath breaker. So if God is swearing by Himself, He's saying, um, "If I don't fulfill this, may my divinity be." Well, let's make it more explicit. T- yeah. Tell tell us. I already know the, the answer. Who is it that appears before Abraham? Mm-hmm. And the what he does is he flays open some animals. Genesis fifteen and goes right. and he goes in between them. Right. But who is it though? That's what we because I think uh, I know I know that you know because mm-hmm. we like to talk about this stuff. But yeah. who is the person present who comes to Abraham? It's it's Christ. It's the second person of the Trinity. How do you, how do you know that? How do I know it? Um, which which are, are we keep looking it short? At, are we looking at Genesis fifteen? Let's keep it short. Okay. Um, Genesis fifteen. It says that the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. 
Um, the word last, of the Lord. Last time I, I, uh, you know, thought about it, a vision is something you see. Uh-huh. Uh, so how does a word come to someone in a vision? How do you see it? So it's it's a person that's being called the word of of the Lord. Um, that's picked up in the New Testament, wonder, right? Wonder uh, a couple that. of verses later, it says he takes him outside. Uh-huh. So now it's explicit. The so, word is not, he's not just hearing a voice, he's seeing someone who takes him outside. Uh-huh. Um, and who, no one has seen God the Father. Mm-hmm. That's explicit throughout the, throughout the Bible. You can't see the Father without the intermediary. And who is the one who reveals the Father? It's the Son. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. So right. whenever whenever the the saints of the Old Testament they see God or they're talking to someone or they're talking to someone who looks like a man looks like a man and is talking as God like the angel of the Lord in Genesis 22 by myself I have sworn mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's he is talking as God um, it's it's Christ it's it's the second person of the Trinity but not in fleshed as he will be not incarnate right. um, he hasn't he hasn't been incarnate um, he appears as a man um, now how does that work we don't we know don't how know. that works uh, we don't know how the angels take on physical form you know in Genesis 18 and they eat food and uh-huh. we, we don't know like that's that's beyond the scope of the scriptures but we know there, there is a difference between them looking like a human and actually being, being incarnate one. being actually made a mm. human um so that there's a there is a difference a massive difference apparently i mean the mm-hmm. incarnation is i mean it's it's just completely different um but it's it's christ who is swearing by himself that i will do this and if i break my oath i'll die mm-hmm. right now i <laughs> Or well, so I didn't. Bring, well, he can't I, die, right? I, yeah, he can't I, be torn apart. Yeah, so I think that um, Genesis fifteen and Genesis twenty-two. I think that that we we can understand them together. But I think that what the author of Hebrews is doing is that he's looking more at the divinity of God's deity. Right. So God is saying that I would have to cease to be God you can, yeah, in which, order for this to happen. An impossibility. I think. I think in Genesis fifteen, there's when when the covenant is cut. Like cut the animals, yeah. And Abraham's in a deep sleep, and he sees the the torch and the fire pot passing through the pieces. Um, which I love how uh, uh, the book Angel of the Lord describes that. It says this is not a Disney cartoon where yeah. you've got like these inanimate art objects walking through. There's someone carrying them. Abraham just can't see who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's Jesus walking through the pieces, and he's taking on both sides of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So as God, he's going to keep his promise. As Abraham's um, representative, if Abraham's um, children don't keep the covenant, they don't. Right? Um, may I They'd die? May I die? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus takes the he takes on the. Um, uh, it's called a self-maledictory oath. Mm-hmm. May I die if this happens? Mm-hmm. Um, and Abraham's offspring, they don't, don't keep, keep it. it. <laughs> and so, and so Jesus dies. Mm-hmm. Right? He seals he seals the death, his own death, in that in that covenant cutting ceremony. But I think in Genesis twenty two, what's going on is is in my deity. May I cease to be God if I don't fulfill this? Yeah. which is, is an impossibility. An impossibility. Um, yeah. God can't. God can't die. Right. right, in in his in his divinity, he can't right. cease to be God, and so um, he gives his promise, but then he seals it with an oath, and it's an oath that is unbreakable. Is unbreakable. It can't it can't be broken. Right, and so Abraham, um, patiently waiting, he obtains the promise. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, this this is massive because God doesn't have to do this. Like this is not something that God has to do. He he's not bound by anything because he he doesn't swear by anything greater than himself. Mm-hmm. So he takes this upon himself to make the promise to Abraham doubly sure by taking this oath and saying, "Look, not only am I saying saying this promise, but I'm going to swear yeah. that I'm going to do this and I'm going to I'm going to do it in such a way that you know that this is a certainty." Abraham has this incredible source of hope. Even it even uh, plays out. You can see it in the uh, binding of Isaac, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What does he tell the servants when he goes up the hill? Yeah. Well, me and the boy will go up, and we'll come down. <laughs> we'll come down again. People often forget this part. Yeah. Um, 
what passage am I thinking of? I, I think even, or it could just be our speculation, but I, th- I think it's I think it's in the New Testament that he could have even risen. He could have brought it's, him back. It's Hebrews eleven. Okay, he he believes that, that he that could have God could, God could bring him back from the dead. Yes. He could raise him from the dead. And in a sense, he did receive him back from the dead, is is what it, right. the next verse says. Because he believes that God's promises rest in this in this son that he's given him. Right. And he knows So God, this, is, this is not just about Isaac, mm-hmm. though it definitely is about Isaac, because he loves Isaac. He, he, it's his, it's um, the son that he's been waiting for for 25 years. Mm-hmm. 25 years, uh, wandering around mm-hmm. um, as a nomad, living in tents, um, experiencing trials, and, and I mean, he goes to war, and I mean, there's all kinds of conflict, and all this time, he's waiting. 25 years, here's the son, Go kill him, mm. and this is not just this is not just Isaac that's going to die. It's the all promise. The, all the promises, mm. all the promises are going to die because God said it will come through Isaac, and yet he goes and does it because he believes God's word. He believes God is faithful. God is going to do this, and me and the boy will go up, and me and the boy are going to come back down. The test is: Do you believe my promise? Mm. Now, it's hard well, for us it's, to it's, grapple it's, with that it's, test. It's even more explicit. It's, do you believe my word? Yeah. Um, I mean, this this has massive connections with Genesis 3, uh, where the serpent comes, and he he's, he's making Eve and Adam question God's word. Is God good? Um, he's holding stuff back from you. Mm-hmm. Here's Abraham. Uh, God has given him the promise, and now God's going to take it away. And he's experiencing the same the same temptations. Um, is God is God good? Is God's word uh, going to be true? Um, and Abraham has to make kind of the same decision that that Adam and Eve have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's obedient. Yeah. So his Abraham's source of hope is God's promise made even more sure by God's oath. Mm. Um, there's nothing greater God could could swear by. That's the double sure hope of Abraham. And we're and he's calling them to to mimic that. Right. That's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. Yeah, there's there's connections between verses 11 and 12 and um, 13 through 16. Um, Abraham having patiently waited obtained the promise. You're supposed to be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. You're, that's the whole point. He's he's not just bringing up Abraham randomly. He's saying mimic him, be like him. See see how Abraham lived. Consider um, consider that he was given promises. He had the weight. Um, over 25 years, like as we're reading it, it seems like God is speaking to Abraham in every chapter, and we, we kind of have the sense that God is just always speaking to Abraham, but we forget 25 years, there's probably periods of, of silence. There's probably yeah. times when Abraham is just going about his everyday life, and he doesn't hear from God. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, no baby. He has to just keep, I mean, he could go back to Ur of the Chaldeans, he could go back to where his family is. Mm-hmm. But he does it. He stays there. He is a stranger in the land. He wanders around. He's got, I mean, he has to deal with the, I mean, he lives in a fallen world. He has to live with the circumstances of this world, surrounded by pagans, um, and he obeys. That sounds a lot like what Christians have to have to deal with. Huh. They've been given the promises. Um, we go through our lives, we're surrounded by pagans, we have to deal with just the circumstances of a fallen world. Um, it, it doesn't always look like God is doing anything. Um, we're, we're waiting, we're waiting for the, for the promises to, to come to fruition. We, we and Abraham have a lot in common, even though we're separated by some you know, 4,000 years. Um, we we still have a lot in common with Abraham, and the author is telling us mimic him. Uh huh. So then he then moves into that we have a double sure hope in seventeen through twenty. So the question is raised: Who are the heirs of the promise of Abraham? Mm-hmm. In you, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. Right? Who are the heirs, the benefits of these promises? Yeah. 
Um, it's Christians. We see that in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 29. Um, if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay, so we become heirs of the promise. So does this mean in some sense then the promises made to Abraham are our promises as well? Yeah. Yeah, The so the promise goes through Isaac, Jacob, um, to the 12 tribes, and um, they come to fruition in Christ. And then those who are, and Christ is the, he is the promised son. He is the offspring through whom all the nations will be blessed. And if we belong to Christ, then we are brought into that family. We become Abraham's offspring. We are the ones who inherit the promises through Christ. And so we have the same, we have the same promises. This is the language of uh, verse 17, if you're listening. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So what what kind of promises are like the recipients of the book of Hebrews and then we can translate this into our time what promises have they been given that they have not yet seen and how is that related to him using Abraham and helping them to persevere Oh um well I mean you, you look back to the initial promise um, God promised that um, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, um, that God would bless those who bless Abraham, curse those who curse him. Um, so it seems like um, Abraham and his offspring are exalted, like they're they're not looked down upon, but they're honored. Uh, you got these Christians who are not feeling that way. Right. right. Um uh the it's a reversal of, of Genesis three, the curses. So mm-hmm. they're going to experience um new heavens, new earth, restoration of all things, end of sin, end of the devil, um actually seeing the Messiah reigning. He actually rules the nations, submit to him. Um all of those things are promises that are given to Abraham's offspring, mm-hmm. to the heirs of the promise. Yeah. And yet, they don't see it yet. And well, you said after after uh, 25 years, he waited. <laughs> right. And you said, how about after thousands of years yeah. of waiting? How can we be sure after thousands mm-hmm. of years yeah. of waiting that this will happen? Yeah, I mean, it's we've been waiting since... The coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ died. He rose from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and it's been almost two thousand years. Um, we're we're still waiting. Now the gospel has gone forth. The gospel is is making an impact. People are coming to faith in Christ. Uh, the nations are being discipled, but yet. I mean, look at look at the world. <laughs> look at the world. Uh, hostile to Christianity, um, just chaos. We're still experiencing the effects of the fall. Um, Christians are not honored. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looked down upon. They're they're maligned. We're called bigots and homophobes, and you know, white supremacists. <laughs> right. Know? Um, uh, you know, Christian nationalists, even people that profess to be Christians, they make it a, a profession to criticize the church. Mm-hmm. Um, are the promises still true? Uh, you know, you've got you've got the Christians that he's writing to here in the first century that are having their property confiscated. They're being they're being persecuted. They're being thrown in the jail. Are the promises going to be true? Are are we going to experience the blessings, or are we just are we just the world's punching bags? Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't it be easier to just go back to Judaism, uh, just go back to just go back to the temple, the animal sacrifice, the priesthood. We're still worshiping Yahweh uh, according to you know the Old Testament, um, and it's a recognized religion, right? 
we're not we're not really being threatened with you know jail time for being Jewish. Yeah, when they bring her around the little bust of uh, Caesar, yeah, well, and they tell you to kneel, like, all you have to say is, well, I'm Jewish, because they had exceptions right, for, right. for them that they didn't have to do that. But even if you didn't want to go back to Judaism, like, try out some other religion, and yeah. just a little pinch of incense to the the bust of the emperor, and yeah. um, go, you know, worship Artemis. Right. <laughs> I mean... Uh, why why go through all of this what what's the point is is there any is there any hope that this actually is true it's a question that we're all we're all going to face mm-hmm. um we're all going to face when you're when you're faced with uh um you know some pink-haired it thing <laughs> that's telling you that you're you know a bigot mm-hmm. because you won't refer to them as they, uh, they, Z-Zim. Yeah, Z-Zim. <laughs> you know. Z-Zim. We're from uh, they, them, to Z-Zim. Just because you're a Christian. Uh, Sounds like maybe, a Zoolander maybe, thing. Maybe it would, you know, maybe it'd just be easier to just go along with it. Mm. I mean, we're, we're all going to face this, this at some point. Yeah. So, what does God give? He gives his oath. And then the author of Hebrews brings up something interesting, maybe people haven't really thought about very much, that it's impossible for God to do some things. Mm. God's given you an oath, there's nothing greater to swear by, and, by the way, it's impossible for God to lie. Mm -hmm. Um, When was the first time you kind of started to think about the idea that there are things God can't do? Remember when you ever first encountered, encountered those things? It had to have been once I was an adult. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that you you are taught, you know, God can't lie, God is good, but you don't really think about oh, this Why? is an all powerful being, and there are things that he can't do. The, uh-huh. the Bible explicitly says that he can't do. I think the first time I really started thinking about it was more along the lines of, of philosophical arguments. You know, the atheist. I don't know if they, you know, the, the common the common you know atheist would bring this up, but. Well, can God, you know, God make a boulder that He can't lift? Right. You know the, you know this, this, uh, can seem, God this make seeming a, conundrum. Right. Um, you know things like that. That's when I started uh, thinking more deeply about the fact that there are things that God can't do, and that's not a weakness. It's He He can only do things that are in accord with His His character, with His nature. Right. So God's character, nature. This is what gets to the things that God can do. Even gets into the boulder thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gets to lying, but God, right. God is perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what He is in His in His nature in every aspect. Yeah, God is. Uh, I'm not saying that God is logic, but um, God's very nature is perfectly logical. Well, where do, that, where do the laws of do, logic come from? They're he, not they're right. not some. They don't just pop into existence. They they have a source. Yeah, so the, the whole reason why, that we can think logically is because there's a God who thinks, logic. who thinks logically and can't can't do illogical things. Right. So uh, God can do anything that's not illogical. Like um, God can't make a boulder too big for him to right. lift. Right. Because that is a nonsense statement. Yeah. So it's, it's illogical. Like, it's like saying, "Can God make a square circle?" Right. Well, no, because they can't exist. Yeah, a square by its nature is a square. A circle is by its nature a right. circle. So God doesn't do contradictory things. Right. He can't make a uh, he can't make a married bachelor. This is why this uh, the whole argument of you know well there are sometimes when two plus two can equal five. It's it's trying to get around the way that God has created the world. Like God two plus two equals four because. That is just the that's just the truth of it. Right. Um, to try to get around that is to try to subvert God's creations, trying to subvert who God is. Well, you can't you really you can't get around it without like renaming things. Right. Like you have two objects here. You've got two objects here. Put them together. You've got four objects. Right. Unless you want to rename one of them three. Yeah. But these are nonsense things. Mm-hmm. So another nonsense thing would be God lying right he can't do it mm. it's uh it's in, it's actually impossible because he's perfection right and he can't do it because he doesn't want to do it mm. like it's not it's not in his nature 
Right. His, he is truth. Yes. He does not he does not tell lies because it's not even like it it's an impossibility. It's not just it's not just well there's no scenario I can think of where God might be tempted to lie. God can't be tempted. He can't be tempted. So he's not going to be tempted to lie. So it's impossible. It's it's outside the realm of possibility that God could do something like this because it's outside of his nature. Right. So you're not he's not going to do something that is contrary to who he is. And and this is why the 10 commandments are not arbitrary laws. Right. People people debate these things like ethics. Well, are the 10 commandments um, are they good because God gave them mm-hmm. or did God give them because they're good? Yeah. And what makes them good? Well, he, if he just gave it, if they're good just because God gave a set of laws, uh-huh. then God could have gave a different set of laws right. and called them good. Right. But that's not how they originate. They come out of his grounding of being. Mm-hmm. So he is good. And what does he give you? He gives you laws which, in a way, are expressions of his nature. So one great example is I've got a uh, three year old. What do three year olds do, George, without being taught? It's one of the Ten Commandments. What do they <laughs> violate? Like, you see it quick. Like, they lie. Right. Kids lie. Little kids lie. Right. Right. A shocker to people who haven't had parents yet. You don't have to teach your kids to lie. They may have never observed a single lie in their life. They're going to lie to you. Mm. Well, when you teach your kids to lie, what do you tell them? God said don't lie. God, it's a bad thing. Mm. That's one way to do it. Or you could say, we don't lie because it's impossible for God to lie. And And when we are honest, we are being like God, and to lie is to not be like God. Um, and God wants us to have a good life. How do we have a good life? We be honest. So society can't work with a society of a whole bunch of liars running around just lying and scheming each other. Which thanks, is kind thanks, of thanks seem to be going all right, <laughs> right? Yeah, things are going great in the world, aren't they, George? People are so honest. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but these God, th- these emerge from who. From the grounding of his being, right? And God, and we're kind of like exhausting it because hopefully people can get it. If God tells you something, it's true, right? You don't have to second guess him. Yeah, and so that's what makes this statement so massive. When he wants to, when he wants to um, show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose so he doesn't change his mind either that's that's another thing he doesn't do he doesn't change yeah. so his purpose that he gave to Abraham is the same that he gives to us we may be separated by millennia but God doesn't change and so um we know that the the same his same will is um in in motion right now he guaranteed it with an oath so he gave a promise you can trust it because God doesn't lie. But on top of that, he gives his oath, mm-hmm. right? He gives his oath. And who does he swear that oath by? He swears it by himself. And I think that the the promise and the oath is Psalm 110, where God swears and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. So how do we know that Jesus actually saves, that he actually is this, there's that word again, Melchizedekian yeah. priest. How can we be so sure because of two unchangeable things, God's promise and God's oath, uh-huh. and he cannot lie. Right. And so Jesus is this Melchizedekian priest. So tie it into Psalm 110. I think I just did, Jay. Well, make it explicit. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Make it more. Read maybe read the section. <laughs> okay. Read so, this. So Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So Yahweh says to my Lord to Adonai. So this is David. Jesus makes this explicit in Ma- uh, what Matthew twenty two twenty one yeah, when he's stumping him. Yeah. Uh, who's David talking about? Um, he's, I don't know. Well, it's this. This was already interpreted as messianic. The the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they already knew. Like this is messianic. Well, David calls him Lord. How could it be Lord and and his uh, and his offspring? They don't understand like the deity of the Messiah. So Yahweh says to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." There's a promise, right? Mm-hmm. 
The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. Lots of promises there. The the reign of the Messiah, the the victory of the Messiah, the the redemption of of people who will actually come to him. Um, all of these promises. And then verse four, Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There it is. So he gives all these promises to the Messiah mm-hmm. and then he swears it with an oath. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus receives the same the, the same, same kind oath. of promise yeah. that, that Abraham yeah. receives. And through him, we have it too. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the promises that Jesus will reign, that his people will reign with him. And God has made it doubly sure by by on top of that swearing. Yeah. All right. Talk about first nineteen and twenty briefly if you can. I think it's just a picture. It's a beautiful picture. Um of of hope. Meta a metaphor. You ever see uh you ever see people with a little anchor tattoo? <laughs> Not in a long time. You haven't? Not in a long time. Is that just a Navy thing? Well, that's that I'm talking about Christians. Oh, oh, Christians. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, are you one of those don't, Christians don't get tattoos? Uh, <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. I just I've never seen a Christian that was like, yeah, give me an anchor. Give me, well, <laughs> give, give me the anchor. Tattoo. Give me the anchor. You know the one. Like, <laughs> you mean the Navy one? No, I don't mean the I don't mean the the Navy one, man. Come on, tattoo guy. Don't you know I'm talking about Hebrew six? <laughs> 19 don't you know this i've never i've never seen a christian that has an anchor tattoo but maybe i'll have to change that have you <laughs> please do huh? maybe i'm going to change that for you George. all right popeye <laughs> have you seen have you seen someone with an anchor Actually, tattoo that's, yeah i'm pretty sure okay. uh, tim matsky's got one Really? I think so. I, okay. I, I think it's an anchor. It might be a ship. I think it's an anchor, though. Well, he listens to this, so he can... Uh, I'm pretty sure he he's can, got an anchor he can, ver- he can verify. I think he I might have to get one, George, right here on the left peck. Get... <laughs> I like it. I like this verse. You could yeah. get up in the morning and look uh-huh. in the mirror and okay. see here. Get an anchor. Well, you'd have to You'd have to have it tattooed for backwards if you're going to look at it. An anchor the... for my soul. Yeah, tattoo it backwards. <laughs> I need to read it every yeah. day. Uh-huh. Sure, a sure and steady anchor, right, for our soul, right, beyond the veil, yes, behind the, the curtain, behind the curtain, mm. where Christ, Jesus is, where Jesus is, right. Christ. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, everyone knows what an anchor is. Mm-hmm. Right? You drop anchor, it. Uh, You're not moving, right? It it latches onto you know the bed of of whatever the body of water is, hooks on a rock or something, and the boat doesn't move. Uh huh. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't go with the current. Uh, the wind can't blow it. Um, even if there's storms, the boat's going to be rocked back and forth, but it's not going to move as long as it's anchored. Mm-hmm. Right? You see that at the end of Acts uh, with Paul in the in the boat. They're about to. Uh, they're about to. Like they're being tossed about by the uh, um, by the storm, and they they drop anchor at mm-hmm. some point so that they're not just blown everywhere. Um, but what's interesting, I, I, I love this. This was this was in Calvin. It was in a bunch of, I think every commentary I looked at made mention of this. But it all goes back to Calvin. We talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Like there's they not all really, steal. Everybody they all steals steals they all steal from Calvin. <laughs> yeah. Um, that whereas in a boat, the anchor is thrust down into the water. For the Christian, our anchor is thrust upward into the heavens. Mm. Um, and what's it latched onto, Jay? What is our anchor latched onto? What do you think? Uh, Christ. See, I, th- I think that's what, or the promise. I think what a lot of people think is it's Christ, but I think I think that the picture, if you if you if you recognize how um, he's he's kind of going back to the end of chapter four, and the high we priesthood, and we can approach we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. I think the anchor is supposed to the picture is that it's it's latched onto the throne of God. Okay. How about the throne Jesus is sitting on? That could be that. Which one? Well, I mean, the throne of grace. There you go. You, you, can, approach, you can approach God the Father. That's, that's yeah. the whole point, is behind the curtain, in the inner place, uh, behind the curtain, it, it, you, you would think that that was all over the place in the Bible, wouldn't you? Mm. Apparently, it's only in Leviticus 16, too. Mm. That's the only place where that, that exact phrase um, is used in the Greek translation, um, and it's, it's in relation to 
the high priest going beyond the curtain into the holy of holies on the day of atonement. Mm-hmm. Or the uh, Ark of the Covenant. So Christ, we're, it, he's setting up Christ as this great priest, um, and he goes and he puts blood on the mercy seat, uh-huh. um, and that's that's where our anchor has has gone. Um, uh-huh. It's it's latched on to the mercy seat because that's where Christ has gone, uh-huh. um, and um, it's immovable. Like it's a sure, steadfast anchor for the soul. It it goes. Into the inner place behind the curtain. This is, I mean, this is massive. This this has massive theological implications because no one could go behind the curtain into the holy of holies, um, in the in the tabernacle or the temple. This this was the place that only the high priest could go, and he could only go once a year, and he had to bring blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he didn't do that, he could die because that's where God is. He's he's there above the mercy seat, um, and this is where Christ has gone. Yeah, and since Christ is there, our anchor is secure to the to the throne of grace, um, and He goes as the priest after the order of Melchizedek. So He brings it back around to this idea of of this order of priest after Melchizedek, and we'll see some more of that next week. Yeah, that's good. But that's I mean that's that's how sure our hope is. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to be rocked back and forth by the storms of this world. It just means that no matter what happens down here, the anchor is going to hold, so we're not going to be shipwrecked. That's good stuff. We went a little long today, George. Just a tiny uh, bit. Just a, just a, a little bit, bit over just, one hour. Just a little bit. Just a little just bit a over little an hour. Bit. But that's good. That's really good stuff. So you're going to wrap it up next week? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out exactly how we're going to do this. It's it's just not a good break because he goes he goes talking about the priesthood through like chapter 10. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's just not a, a great break, but I'm I'm trying to figure out I I wanted to get back to Melchizedek because he he brings it up. He says, "I want to talk about this more, but you're dull of hearing." He gives the warning, he gives the encouragement, and then he bring, he he goes ahead and he brings it up because he's sure of better things. I'm just trying to figure out exactly where um, to stop. So yeah, we'll see. So I'm not, got, I'm not sure exactly how far we're gonna go in chapter seven, but uh, we'll we'll talk about Melchizedek and then we'll take a summer break. Well, we'll be like have, it'd be like it'd be like the, the we got se- you. season finale, and then yeah. you gotta you gotta you gotta come back in the fall, and we'll yeah. we'll pick up with Hebrews again. Yeah, because we've got you. You got one more, and then we go into our summer uh-huh. kind of preaching schedule where all of the elders will preach twice. Um, and we're doing kind of ten. I don't know what distinctives is the right word. Maybe it's distinctive priorities mm. about like what is our church about, right. like the bedrock of our church. Mm-hmm. So we've got the priority of scripture, uh, the clarity of the gospel, right? Um, things like Bibli- pri- biblical theology, biblical theology primacy, uh, primacy church, of expository preaching, uh, church discipline, membership, uh, leadership, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Kind of like the nine marks, but we've got 10. Because we're better than them. We went plus. <laughs> it's like nine marks plus. Uh-huh. Everybody's got Disney, like Disney we're ten, plus. We're, we're 10 marks. Paramount plus. We're 10 marks. You need to put out a book, Jay. <laughs> 10 marks of a healthy church. No, I, um, yeah, it's good. We've had so many new people at our church, and the church has grown a lot. Well, e- I think Even through COVID. Uh, so right. we've touched on all of these things early. So it's a good time to revisit. Well, it's always good, even if we didn't have any new members. Um, it's it's always good to be reminded, like, what are we about? Yeah. Um, because, like, uh, like I mean, all throughout Hebrews, we, we gotta we have to remember these things lest we drift away from them. Um, and so it's good for us to be reminded of why do we do things the way that we do? Uh-huh. Um, because we believe in the centrality of, of Scripture and, and the clarity of the gospel, and and the best way to communicate that is through expository preaching and and uh, regenerate church membership and and church discipline goes along with that. And we have uh, biblical leadership, and it's it's good to be reminded of that. Even yeah. for even for me, it's mm-hmm. it's good to be reminded because we get into um, we just kind of get into a regular flow. And uh, we just kind of assume these things, and if we assume these things for too long, they'll get pa- the the assumption will get passed on to 
the younger people and and they'll just we just assume that they know this stuff and they don't and they've never been taught it and it only takes i mean really apostasy is only ever one or two generations away mm-hmm. so we have to constantly be reminding the people we had sunday school training um yesterday and the first thing that i brought up is look throughout the old testament and see how many times they tell the same stories over and over and over again you get the exodus event time and time again it's because they they're supposed to teach the next generation the stories you can't just assume that they're going to know the stories you've got to you got to you got to explicitly tell them uh-huh. if if you don't the world is going to teach them something and if you're not right. teaching if you're not teaching them something counter to it and superior to it they're they're going to fall away so yeah so that's coming this summer um did then we'll take a break for text driven Tuesday, but we'll probably be able to still do the uh, free for all Fridays. Did we take a complete break last summer? We did. Or did we take a complete break we in had December? A, I think we had a few that popped up here and there, uh, but for the most part, we we took a, th- we took kind of. a I break. think we'll be able to we'll do some, but we'll slow down. Like we keep a pretty heavy pace. Uh, yeah, I mean, with the way things are going, things keep popping up. That we've got so many things that we can talk about. How long does the briefing take a break for? I think I think Mueller takes probably a summer. I think he probably takes two or three months. Yeah. Okay. Are you trying to compare us to the briefing? No. Nah. We might have slightly less listeners. We and we go about uh you know, forty five minutes longer than the briefing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably because people that are more intelligent can say things in fewer fewer words. <laughs> right. So it takes us an hour and fifteen. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> That's right. So, all right. Well, you want to shut it down for us? You want me to shut it down? I want down? you to shut it down. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully this has been beneficial for you as we've been going through Hebrews chapter 6. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermons and uh, read back through the passage and think upon what uh, the author is, is teaching us here because we want, to, uh, we want to move past a shallow, immature Christianity. We want to hold on to the hope that we have in Christ. It's like a sure and steady anchor that is fastening us um, immovable to the throne of God. So be encouraged and uh, and think upon this hope this week. And uh, as always, we want this to help you to become more and more conformed to Christ. So we will see you next time.